The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church and Pastor Greg Davis in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about Cashin FBC, please visit cashinfbc.org. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to say something uh, from my heart this morning to you. Uh, There are so many churches that want to chase trends and they want to be trend setting and all those things. And I said this morning, trends always come to an end, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I remember someone famously quoting the the, uh, phrase or quote that said, if you marry the culture, you'll be a, a widow very soon. And I'm telling you all that to say we're not doing anything special here. We're not trying to be a trend-setting church. We're not trying to to grow with explosive growth. We're here for one reason, and that is to get into the Word of God, and hopefully in getting into the Word of God and spending time in the Word of God, that it leads you to a transformed life, and it leads you to worship the Lord more deeply. And if we've done that, then we've accomplished something. I just, I'm, I don't want to be fancy. I don't want to do anything that, that is just kind of distracting from the Lord. And so, like I said, all we're doing is just going verse by verse through the scriptures. And, and I want to tell you, you have the capacity to stay with it. The Lord will give you the heart for the word of God. And so with that said, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And then we will pray this morning and just ask the Lord to be here with us. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So let's pray together. Father, if you don't show up today, nothing will happen. And so, Lord, we we need your presence here. We need your grace and your, your power to be poured out among us. And, Lord, we pray for that. God, I pray that we would be in our own hearts undistracted. I pray that we would be transformed in our thinking, Lord, and that this text of Scripture would lead us to deeper worship of you, to deeper admiration for Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that are quick to obey, and I pray all of this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, This passage that we know as the love chapter, you'll remember that from last week, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians has always been called the love chapter, and that's an appropriate name because love comes up over and over and over this. 
we, we told you this last week, and I hope you remember this. This is not a text about marriage, but it has everything to do with the church and how we operate as a church. Now, with that said, I want to read to you from one of the major commentators that I pull from who talks about this passage in its proper context. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about the Corinthian situation. There's something going on in Corinth that is causing Paul to write this letter to them and to insert this portion we call the love chapter. But he says this, and I think this is good for you to hear. This passage easily transcends that immediate situation as well, which is what gives it such universal appeal. Here's what Gordon Fee is saying in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. Lots and lots of potential ways to apply this text of Scripture. So when I say it's not about marriage, it's not. It's about the Corinthian situation. But does it apply to our marriages? Yes. Is it about anniversaries? No. But does it apply to anniversaries? Yes. There is a universal appeal to this text of Scripture because it is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So the immediate context, you remember this, Paul is dealing with a church called the Corinthian church that is full of pride. And the pride is so great, the pride is so vast in the midst of this congregation that even when they're doing things like exercising their spiritual gifts, they're literally taking pride in those things. And I want to say something to you to just kind of hit the pause button for just a moment. When we have a God-given gift, right, and if we have a spiritual gift, it's from God, there is no reason to ever boast in that, right, because God gave us those gifts, he didn't give them to, to inflate our egos. He gave them to us for the betterment of the church. So Paul, in order to set this attitude right, has to write to this church and insert this part about love. Now, I want to stop right here and remind you that this word love, just like in 1 John 4, over and over and over, the term love comes up. And I want to give you kind of a, a little bit of an informational piece to this. There are three words in the Greek language that we translate as love. One of them is eros, and I want to tell you what eros is. It's almost what we would call the equivalent of lust. And the Bible, although it uses that term, it's not using that particular Greek term. Then there's another word, phileo, okay? And I want to tell you what that is. If you have philosophy and you take off the first part of that, philos, here's what you get, love. And if you talk about philosophy, you have a love of wisdom, okay? That's what that term means. Philosophy is a love of wisdom. And then if you've ever been to the favorite place in the world, and I talked about this one time in one of my sermons, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, and if you know what's in Philadelphia, the reason I love Philadelphia is because that's where Rocky was from, right? The mean streets of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, if you remember, you take that out, it's the city of brotherly love. Now, there's terms in Scripture that we translate as love that would be more like that, the, the idea of brotherly love. But you remember here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's not either one of those terms. It is the term agape. And that's where we get the idea of God's love. 
When Paul is calling the church to examine whether they're loving or not, just not just in a brotherly love kind of way, he's asking them to consider, are they loving in the way that God loves? What we would call a John 3.16 love. Now, we considered last week verses 1 through 3, and I want to put just a temporary reminder out there for you. We called that, verses 1 through 3, the priority of love. And here's what we, why we called it the priority of love. Paul is imagining a person having maximum gifting and not having love tethered to it. And this is what Paul says. If love is not tethered to this person who's extremely gifted, then their gift loses all of its power. And so I want to do this uh, as we look through this. I, I want to remind you what those gifts were. The first were what we would call speaking gifts. He says you have this speaking gift of men and of angels. You have it to the ultimate extent. And he, he imagines it without love. And here's what he says. It ends up being a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, those are instruments of pagan worship in Paul's day. So your life, even if you have extreme gifting, without love is no better than pagan worship. And then he goes on in verse 2, he gives intellectual gifts. The gift of prophecy, the gift of knowing all mysteries, having all knowledge. These are intellectual gifts. And Paul says, what if those didn't have love with them? He says that person would actually be, as you see it there in verse 2, nothing. That person with all that gifting to the ultimate extent, all knowledge, all uh, wisdom, all ability to discern mysteries. That person with such extensive gifting, Paul says, is literally worthless in the church. And then there's that gift of giving in verse 3. Both materially, Paul says, giving materially and also bodily, that you're willing to give yourself as a martyr for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And he says there in verse 3, what if that person who gave everything they have to the poor, everything they have to God, and they didn't have love, he says it profits them nothing. So I want to stop for just a moment and ask you a question. Are you a loving person? Now, the reason I throw that out at the beginning of the sermon is most of us, before we get into the next part of this text, would say right now, hey, I am a loving person. As a matter of fact, I say I love you all the time to people. When I write my wife that Valentine's Day card, I put at the bottom there, love your husband or your loving husband. And I say this to my kids, I say it to my grandkids, I say it to my wife, I am a loving person. Can I stop you for just a moment and really have you tune in for just one second? What Paul does next in this passage is going to give you an opportunity to grade yourself. You say you're a loving person. Here's the proof. And I want you to note this in what Paul is going to say about love. All of what he says from verse 4 down to the end of verse 8 are all verbs. So love is more than saying something. Love is always doing something. It's active, if you will. 
And we think about God's love toward us. And what do we think about when God's love toward us? What do we say? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. Uh, Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love toward us. So God is always doing things. So before you jump in and say, yes, I'm a loving person, I want you to grade yourself today as we look at God's word and we examine ourselves in light of it. So here's what we're going to consider all the way through verse 7. Is first the priority of love, verses 1 through 3. 4 through uh, verse 8 is what we call the picture of love. And, And I want to tell you about this picture of love. It's going to come in two ways. Number one, it's going to come in a positive way, what love is. And then secondly, it's going to come in a negative way, what love is not. So what love does and what love does not do. So we're answering the question, what does it look like when we put love into action? Remember what I told you this morning, we're doing nothing fancy. (laughs) Okay, we're doing nothing fancy. I want you to look at verse 4. The first thing you're going to see there is that love is patient. Love is patient. If you have a King James Version Bible in front of you, which some of you do, I love the way the King James, in this kind of flowery language, it calls love there charity because they're using a different uh, Greek text, a Latin text, and and they come up with this word uh, for charity instead of love there. Charity, listen to what it says, suffereth long. I love that idea of of love being patient, but I love it even more when you say it, suffereth long. And so you can go up to your wife after church and say, honey, I suffereth long for you, okay? Uh, The idea there, we get uh, this from God, that God is a long-suffering God. Now, when we say that love is patient, I want to stop right here and tell you what this means. But I want to tell you what it means by telling you first what it does not mean. Okay, when you go down to the DMV and you're waiting patiently for your number to be called, that does not mean you're loving. If you're at a a nice eating establishment and you're patiently waiting on a table, that does not mean you're a loving person. And here's why. When we talk about love being patient... It's always patience toward another person, exercise toward another person, not toward a situation, right? That, that may be long-suffering and patient and all those things, but it's not what Paul's speaking of here. Now, let me take that a step further. This kind of love that is patient is also specifically used for patience toward people who have wronged us. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you a loving person? Right? It's easy to say, yeah, I'm patient with my kids. I love them to death and love my spouse. But what about when someone has wronged you? Then the question is, are you a loving person? Would you turn over with me to 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want you to look at verses 8 and 9 this morning. Now, understand the context of what's going on here with Peter. Peter is uh, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in Peter's day, 2,000 years ago, just like in our day, there were people mocking them for their faith. 
And they had faith in Jesus Christ. They had faith in his return. And people are looking around. Just years after Jesus Christ uh, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and has yet to return, this is what people were saying. Oh, I thought Jesus was going to return soon. Where is he? And Peter gives them two reasons why Christ has not returned. The first of those is found in verse 8. He says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. First reason Christ hasn't returned in the fashion that you think he should is because he doesn't think of time in the same way that we do. Right? We think about time in days and hours and in months and years. God doesn't think of time in that way. But there's something connected to this that's even more important. Would you look at verse 9? The Lord is not slow about his promise, meaning the promise of his return. As some count slowness, but notice this. Why is he not yet returned? But he's patient toward you. Now, brothers and sisters, if you've never turned to Jesus Christ, would you look at the rest of that verse, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance? If Christ has not yet returned and you've never turned to Christ, count that as God's love toward you. Even though you're shaking the fist at God, even though you're walking in your own ways, want nothing to do with God, just know this, God is loving and patient toward you, or else he would have already returned and judged the earth. In Noah's day, God said, Noah, you need to build an ark, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to flood the whole world and judge the whole world. And you say, man, did that happen eight days after Noah built the ark? Did that happen immediately? No, it tells us it happened 120 years later. Why? Because God is patient. When we talk about this kind of love, that's the kind of love we're talking about that's willing to suffer along with people who don't necessarily do what we want them to do. Gretchen and I have a dear couple in our life that are in their 80s. They're really good friends of ours, and I've asked on multiple occasions if they would adopt me into their family. Uh, They were not in their 80s when we met them. Uh, Some of you at the old church probably heard them speak, Royce and Susie Littrell, and, and Royce was a pastor for 25 years. And when his son, Steve, turned 19, Steve, like so many people, walked away from the church. Mom, Dad, it's not for me anymore. I've outgrown this. I I don't want any part of this. And Royce made a commitment when Steve was 19 years old. This was the commitment that Royce made. He was going to call him every other weekend and invite him to church. Not every week, every other weekend. And Royce would call, and this is what he would say. He would say, Steve, your mom and I would love to see you in church. And Steve would say, Dad, it's not for me. And he would say, son, we love you. We'd love to see you in church. I'll talk to you soon. Two weeks later, Royce would call, say, Steve, I'd love to see you in church. And Steve would say, Dad, it's not for me. Never in that time, according to Steve's own testimony, did his dad ever say, we're disappointed in you. We raised you better than that. You know you should be in church. Never said that. Just, son, I'd love to see you in church. Do you know that when Steve was 36 years old, he returned to the faith? He's now a pastor. He's a friend of mine. And his dad called him every other Sunday for 16 years. Brothers and sisters, that is love in action. 
love that is patient toward people who have wronged you. Now next, notice in uh, 1 Corinthians, if you'll go back over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, not only is love patient, but it said love is also kind. And this is extremely important to see because we think of the fruit of the Spirit, and we think of that word love, and we think of that word joy, and we think of that word peace and patience, but also on the list is kindness. And love, just like the fruit of the Spirit, is kindness. Now, the opposite of this would be hatred and hostility, hatefulness toward another person, hostility toward them, especially just like we said, when people don't agree with us. But the reality is the Bible says this is not the way love operates. Love is kind. And what is kindness? It's the idea of being good to people, giving people good gifts. We serve a God who loves us and who gives us good gifts. And I said, this is agape love. This is the kind of love that God gives to us. So we want to see this one more time. Romans chapter 2, just to your left a little bit. Romans chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 4. And I want you, as we go through this, I want to see if in your mind, this is the way you think of God when you think of God. Because I think so many people think of God as impatient and unkind, okay? And he says, you're going to love in the church, you're called to love in the church the way God loves us. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? That's talking about God's kindness. And notice this word, tolerance. He adds another word. Patience. Why does he talk about the kindness and the tolerance and the patience of God? Because he says, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. How desperately does the church need to hear this in the 21st century when the world is always talking about how full of hate we are, how full of unkindness we are, and we pull to the reality, well, how does God love people? He's kind to them. He's patient with them. He suffers for a long time when they're doing the wrong thing. And the Bible says love is not that way. It is kind. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to approach our first negative picture of love. These are all what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, what love does not do? Love is not jealous. How many of you, if I were to tell you what the color of jealousy, I want everybody on the count of three, I want everybody to yell it out. Young people may not know this. I'm just going to yell it out, and I want you to say what color comes to mind when you think of jealousy. One, two, three. Everybody knew it. If we don't know the answer to the question, the answer is always, my family got it, okay? We think of green with envy. The Old Testament tells us what love looks like in action by telling us what love does not do. And let me tell you the word for it, okay? Ten commandments. You have commandments about how we love God well and commandments about how we love our neighbor well. And one of the things that it says about love is that it does not covet what another person has. 
And then it lays out all these things, their wife and their property and their cattle and their houses. If you love them, you will not covet what I have. So that's saying, you have it, you have it, and I want it. That's what jealousy is. You have it, but I want it. That's what a jealous person does. But I want to tell you another way we can be jealous. And and let me tell you what it is. I don't have it, and I don't want it, but I don't want you to have it. (laughs) That's another way that we can be jealous. And you say, well, what's so dangerous about wanting what other people have, being envious of what they have? Well, taken to the extreme, it ends up being the worst thing possible. Can I remind you of what Joseph's brothers wanted to do to him out of jealousy? Some of you are reading through the Old Testament right now. Do you remember what they did? They literally wanted to kill him. And one brother kind of snaps to their senses and says, guys, this isn't a good deal. Let's just throw him into a pit, okay? And they throw him into a pit. The people come along and they sell Joseph into slavery. All out of what reason? Out of what emotion? Jealousy. What about in the Old Testament, even earlier than that, the story of Cain and Abel? And Cain is jealous of his brother and murders his brother Abel. All out of jealousy. But I want to tell you the opposite of this when we talk about love is patient and love is kind and love is not jealous. I want to show you a picture of this in the New Testament in the ministry of John the Baptist. Hear me for just a moment. John the Baptist was popular. The crowds were following him. He was calling people to repentance. He was baptizing the multitudes. And then Jesus hit the scene and guess what happens to John's ministry? John's ministry starts to decrease. And his disciples, just like any good church member would do, hey, the church down the street is doing something right. I mean, they've got people there packing the pews every Sunday. They're baptizing more people. And guess what Pastor Greg would do? He would freak completely out. And I would say, I have to figure out what's going on here, guys. I I mean, I have to figure out. I have to go down there and I have to sit in on a service. John doesn't do that. John looks at his disciples and says, hey, it's okay. It's okay. John 3.30, let me remind you what John said. He must increase and I must decrease. That's John's love put into action for Jesus. The loving person, listen to me, is happy when another person succeeds. The loving person, when he sees a brother who's more gifted, is happy and thankful for that person. I'm going to have a a moment of honesty with you. If there's anything I struggle with, it's that thing. When, When other people, it's not necessarily even me, looking at another person succeeding, I say, why don't my kids have that? Why don't they have that? And you know what I did this week? I just kind of shifted gears. I said, I'm going to start complimenting people on their successes. And I want to tell you, it runs completely counter to my flesh to do that. But that's the reality. Love is not jealous. Now, would you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And you guys were supposed to be out there shaking, saying, yeah, I struggle with the same thing. If you struggle with the same thing, just real quick throw your hands up in the air and you put them back. Okay, just one or two of you did that. Love also negatively does not brag. Uh, I look at one or two technical commentaries when I'm preaching through a text of Scripture, and, and I found this in two different commentaries. Do you know what that word literally means? That someone is a windbag. And, and do you know what a windbag does? 
a windbag talks and talks and talks and talks. And guess what the talking's about? Not about someone else. It's all about them. It's all about the self. It's all about their giftings. Now, I want you to think about for just a moment, if you're ever around a person who brags a lot, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, please, God, tell me they're not getting the picture of me in their head as we talk about this. But if you've ever been around a person who brags on themselves all the time, do you feel comfortable around that person or uncomfortable around that person? Inevitably, people will say, I feel uncomfortable. And why do you feel uncomfortable? Here's why. Because you feel unloved when that's all they do. This was the true Corinthian problem, a church that is full of pride. John MacArthur said, this is the other side of jealousy. And this is how MacArthur describes it. Jealousy wants what the other has. The braggart desires for you to want what they have. Right? Jealousy wants what the other has. The braggart desires for you to, have, uh, to, to want what they have. Now, the next negative is this. Love is not arrogant. It's not arrogant. Do you see it there? Does not brag and is not arrogant. That was another problem in the Corinthian, the Corinthian church is they had gifts. And one of the gifts that they really, really had and they were really boasting in was the gift of knowledge. And they were looking around saying, not everybody has the knowledge we do. And Paul says, you have to be careful with knowledge because if you don't couple knowledge up with love, here's what you get. A person literally, you look this up, a person who is puffed up. That's what arrogance is. You're puffed up. You're puffed up with pride. You're looking down your nose at other people. And Paul says, this is not the way we do church. Love is not arrogant. And knowledge puffs us up, but love edifies one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I want to give you a picture of this, and you can turn there in your own time. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Jesus, all the gifts, all the deity dwelling in one person, right? He's God's, uh, he, he's God's heir. He has all the qualities of God. And it says, yet he did not consider those things uh, a thing to be grasped or held on to. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a man. Humbled himself and became a slave. Humbled himself and died on a cross. Why? Because he was not arrogant. He was humble. Paul says love is not arrogant. Now, would you look back at verse 5? It also says that love does not act unbecomingly. It does not act unbecomingly. If you look at any major translation, let me tell you what you're going to find there. In place of that, if you're in a, in a newer translation, you're going to find the word rude there. Rude. A loving person is not a rude person. And I want to explain what that means. You are not going to do or say anything that will offend another person. Now, we're not talking about telling truth because we'll talk about that next week. But we're talking about just doing things to make people uncomfortable. Saying things or doing things. That's what it means to be rude. Now, the next that he says here is that love does not seek its own. In other words, it's not all about me. 
And let me tell you how the loving person deflects in two different ways. First, they deflect toward God. It's not about me, it's all about God. And how do we know this? Because in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, this life, as hard as this is to hear, is not about us. It's about God. And the loving person understands that. But the loving person also understands this in a second way. That everything they do is also for the benefit of another person. We don't do anything selfishly. If we love people, we do it for their good. Would you look over with me just at chapter 12 and verse 7 as a reminder here of what the purpose of the spiritual gifts are? He says in verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Don't miss this. We talked about last week. Last week, Why did he give spiritual gifts? For the common good. Pastor Greg, how do I apply this to my own life? I want to give you an example. Some of you are really fired up right now because you're on your second or third year of reading through the Bible in a year. Some of you. I, uh, lots of you read through the Bible in a year, and I love that. But do you know that act of even running through the scriptures verse by verse and reading through the entire context of scripture should also be for other people? Because what you should do is you should take what you've stored up and you should give it to your family. You should take what you've stored up and give it to your family members, your friends, your grandkids, your coworkers, and you just say, hey, let me tell you what I'm studying in the Word today. Did you know that's one of the, uh, uh, someone asked me early on, they said, how do you disciple in your home? And I said, there's nothing fancy. We just talk about the Bible together. And I said, let me, let me tell you what I'm reading. And, and I share that with them. Why? Because we want to say that it's not just about us. It's not just about storing up things for ourselves. We want to give those things to others. Now, would you go back to 1 Corinthians 13? This is another negative. Love is not provoked. Uh, let me give you two other translations of this. It's not easily angered and it's not easily irritated. Let me tell you why there's overlap between seeking our own and not being easily provoked. The person who believes it's all about them will become easily angered or easily irritated when it's not about them. These are linking together like links in a chain that we say, it's not all about me. And when I understand that, I won't be easily provoked when it's not about me. Paul says love is not provoked. Now, the last in this list that we'll handle today. If you have been checked out or tuned out, get tuned back in. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. This is where I want to hang out for the time that we have remaining. Because this is so important. And why is it so important? Because this is really giving us a picture of God's perfect love toward his own. This is giving us a picture of Jesus' love for us. When we say love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I want to tell you an amazing thing about this church and most every other Baptist church that's ever existed. We do business meetings. 
And in those business meetings, we keep what are called business meeting minutes. And these are detailed records of every word that is said in the business meeting, at least in a summarized form. And so you could do this. You could go to Janice, and I encourage you to do this after church. Go to Janice and say, Janice, I need you to pull it. No, I said in the first service, I said, don't bug don't bug Janice. She's got too much on her plate for this. But if you were to go and you say, Janice, back in 2014, someone told me that this church wanted to plant a tree out front and it cost $1,200. Could you pull those business meeting records for me and show me that? Janice could go back to 2014. Uh, let's say it was June of 2014. She pulls the records out and she said, actually, there was a motion made by Brad Knoll to spend $1,200 on a tree and there was a second by Jack. He was there, and, and then everybody agreed, and then we planted the tree out front for $1,200. And then you can go, hey, Janice, I didn't agree with that. I needed some say-so in that. And you can harass her and just tell her that was wrong. But here's the reality. She could literally pull those records out and show you those records. When Paul says in verse 5, love does not keep into account a, a wrong suffered, that's the picture that's going on here. This is a bookkeeping term and an accounting term. And here's what it means. That a person takes out a ledger and enters in the needed information and the way you have permanent record, that way you have permanent record of the debts owed, etc. Okay? And, and here's what that person can do with this literally translated a numerical calculation. They can, in any conflict, they can flip open that, that ledger and they can show you a date connected and remind you of what that person owes. That's the picture. Bookkeeping term, accounting term, flip out the ledger, show them. Now, I want to say something to you this morning. Some of you here may do the same thing in your marriage. You may do the same thing in your friendships or in this church. When there's been sin or wrongdoing, you can bring it up. And you can flip out the ledger and you can remind that person of what they've done. Did you know that Paul says that love is the opposite of that? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Let me go so far as to say this. Love throws the book away. Never to be seen ever again. I, I love ledgers and I'm glad we have business meeting minutes but I'm thankful that we serve a God who doesn't use the ledger with us. Now, this is a good time for us to look at just a couple of scriptures, and then we're going to bridge this to the gospel, okay? Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Every person, I said, if you've been sleeping, you've been tuned out, get tuned in. we got about five more minutes, and then you can get out of here, okay? And all God's people said, look at this. Hatred stirs up strife. But love, notice this, what does love do? Covers all transgressions. That's good news for you and I. That's the way we're to operate. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Look at what it says. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Peter says this. You have to be fervent in love. And why does he say we have to be fervent in love? For love covers a multitude of sins. What's it doing with the ledger? It's saying we throw the ledger out. 
we tear the page out. We, we don't recall those things. Now, this is a good time to share the gospel with you. Young people, if you're here today and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, understand this, you have a sin debt with God. And he has an account of all of those sins. He has a book in which all of your uh, shortcomings have been written. But here's the reality. God has made a way for the debt in that book to be torn out and canceled. And here's what the Bible says. The payment was made with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's gospel love. Taking no account of wrong suffered, just ripping out the ledger. Now, here's what I want you to do. Last place, we're going to turn. Second Peter, uh, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. You've got to pay attention to this. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Verse 17 through verse 19, then I want, to, I want to look at something in verse 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world, toward, uh, the world to himself. Please note the following. Not... Counting their trespasses against them. The word used here is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13. How do we know that God loves us? He's canceled the debt. He's thrown away the ledger. And I want to tell you some good news this morning. That if you've bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something that's true about you that you may not always feel. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God says, love keeps no record of wrong. Would you close your Bible this morning? And I want to give you a painful exercise to do when you go home. Not a physical exercise, but a spiritual exercise. And I want you to honestly do this. I said it to the first group. I want to say it to you. I want you to honestly do this. I want you to go home, and I want you to personalize this text. Because the Bible says it is like a mirror in which we see ourselves. And thank God for mirrors, because sometimes, have you ever looked in a mirror and said, oh my gosh, I have something on my face, or I have something on my shirt, and you're able to correct that. The Bible in grace says the Bible's like a mirror that helps us to correct what's fallen short in our life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to personalize this text by putting your name in it. Greg is patient. Greg is kind. Greg is not a bragger. And Greg is not arrogant. And Greg does not take into account a wrong. And some of you are snickering. Put your name in there, okay? <laughs> and I want to say this. It will humble you. And it will, because it transforms us, it will make us depend on God more to love people the way we're supposed to love them. If you've never bowed the knee to Christ, know this. God loved you enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. 
question is, are you going to receive that love for yourself? Would you stand with me this morning? Nothing fancy. I want us as a church body to love the Word of God, to be transformed by it, to worship more deeply, and to love one another better. Let's pray. Father, your Word is transformative. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts down. Lord, it reads our thoughts and our intentions. God, it It really pulls us inside out if we allow it to do that. And I pray today that we consider how we love one another. Are we loving the way your Bible says to love, the way your book says to love? Or are we just simply saying that we love people? God, I also pray that if there are any here who don't know the love of Christ, that they would know that he loved them enough to give himself uh, on the cross and die a brutal death to be able to reconcile them back to you, God, the God who loves them. And so we prayed today, God, that they would know that and that they would turn to that and that they would put aside all the shame, put aside all the sin and turn to you in repentance and faith. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about our church, please visit cashinfbc.org.